All right, now we're going to move into this morning's message. We're reflecting on the book of Job. Now, just real talk, man. I'm so tired of this. <laughs> it's getting so difficult recording these videos. You've noticed the background changes all the time in these videos. Sometimes I'm outside in my back porch area. Sometimes I'm on the front porch. Often I'm right here in front of the fireplace. Um, man, it's such a struggle figuring out lighting and sound and what it's going to look like. And man, I just want to invite you guys into a welcoming space for this time that we have together. But I got to tell you, it's tough behind the scenes. I love being outside. And then we have the challenges of it's raining all week long. When it stops raining, my neighbor's mowing his grass <laughs> and I'm just over it. You know that feeling of being over it? This is one small example of that during this time. And so here I am this week. I'm in that place of frustration and being over it. And of course, we come to the book of Job. And then it's really hard to feel like my life is so bad um, when I look at Job and, and all that he goes through. And so I, I want to encourage you guys in a very broad sense. Um, the book of Job is a reflection on someone going through like the ultimate suffering. This good, upright man has lost everything almost. He's lost his health. He's, his children have passed away. His marriage seems to be on the rocks. The few handful of friends that he have left, they're kind of blaming him for the calamity that's come his way. He's lost all of his wealth and possessions. I mean, he is, he is devastated. He's hit rock bottom. And so much of this book of Job is, is a reflection where he begins to verbalize all the things stirring in his heart and mind. He dialogues with his friends. He even approaches the Lord with all he's struggling with. It's a rich, full story. And I want to encourage you not to rush past it. Consider taking some time to really sit and read through the book of Job and listen to his wrestling. Um, one of the things that we could easily do this morning is just spend time talking about seasons of suffering. I've gone through those in my life. I'm grateful for many blessings that I have in my life, but I've been real with you guys at times. I struggled in a very real way with depression for years. Um, we've gone through hard seasons as a family. And so I get some of what Job is experiencing. And I know many of you can relate to seasons of, of loss, of difficulty, of suffering, times in life where it just seems like you can't, you can't get ahead. You know, you put one foot in front of the other and then it's two more steps backwards. And so what I, I really want to hone in on this morning is, is not so much talking about all of the potential hard things we could face. Instead, what I want to invite you to do is reflect on how Job maintained his faith in the midst of suffering. I also want to say he maintained his faith in the midst of success too. And that's easy to miss. But most of Job's life was marked by success. And yet he held on to a faith in God. He walked holy and righteous and blameless. And friends, that's rare. It may seem obvious to us that of course we would struggle with our faith when we're suffering, but one of the biggest obstacles to maintaining our faith 
is when we're successful in life. Most of what we've seen as we've read through the scripture this year is Israel, the people of Israel, finding seasons of success and compromising and slipping into apathy and their hearts wandering from the Lord. And so the reality is, no matter what season we find ourselves in, through the ups and downs and the roller coasters of life, through both successes and suffering, we have a very real battle in front of us. And it's that battle to hold on to our faith and walk with God, no matter the season, no matter the circumstance. And so I want to invite you to consider three things this morning about Job. Three things that we see from him and how he held on to, the, on to his faith in the midst of both suffering and success. And so three things we're going to look at. First, Job's example. I want you to see a couple things from his life. Secondly, we're going to look at what I'm calling Job's arbiter. It's a word that he uses. Arbiter, mediator. It's like a judge or a lawyer. So consider Job's example. Consider Job's arbiter. And then thirdly, consider Job's promise. There was a promise about his future that I, I hope we can all hold on to. All right, so we ready for this, friends? Let me pray one more time, and then let's prepare our heart to look at these three things we see in Job's life that help him maintain faith in the midst of suffering and success. Heavenly Father, we invite you now to come speak to our hearts. Lord, whatever condition we are coming to you in this morning, God, if we've been in a season of success and life is good, Lord, if we've been battling and suffering and struggling with the difficulty in our life, God, we purpose to come to you, to come towards you, to lean into your presence. Jesus, we invite you to be our teacher and our guide this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and make this word come alive in our hearts? May it be real to us. Help us to have eyes like Job had. Lord, we're in the midst of difficulty and struggling. Lord, he was able to see you in all of your glory, present, real, and available. God, we need you today. We love you, we trust you, and we invite you to come speak into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, number one, Job's example. How did Job handle both his success and failure? Well, one of the first things that we see is that Job trusted God and he cared for others. In fact, God says about Job, he's described this way in several times throughout this book, but God says about Job to Satan, to the one who's accusing Job uh, of not really truly being a good guy. He says, listen, it's just because his life is good that he's a good guy. But God says specifically in Job 1 verse 8 to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Listen, at this point in the story, Job is still just a successful, wealthy, well-respected guy. And God says, look at this guy. Look at this guy who's been blessed massively, who has money, who has success, who has the approval of men. And look at him. He's blameless. He's upright. 
he hasn't fallen into the trap that Jesus talks about later when he says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Job is one of those rare guys who is blameless, who trusts God, who loves the Lord even in the midst of success. If we look at other parts of the book of Job, I won't read them now, but you can see in Job 31 as an example, when Job is reflecting on his life when he was in, in success. And he says, listen, I didn't neglect the poor. I took care of widows and the fatherless. Job, during seasons of success in his life, continued not to trust in his wealth, but to trust in God. And he purposed in his heart to take care of others. He even worried about how his kids were doing. And so he would make sacrifices on their behalf to make sure they were okay and right with God. Listen, not only did Job trust God and care for others during success, he also continued to trust God even in suffering. After he gets the devastating news about all the loss he's experienced, including the death of his children, Job, in the midst of that despair, in chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, he continues to worship and trust God. When Job receives this bad news, he says, or the scripture says in verse 20, Then Job arose, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshiped. Job had figured out, even in despair, he didn't hide his despair. He didn't pretend like it wasn't there. He was real about it. But even in his despair, he worshiped God. Verse 21, Then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Friends, even in his suffering, he was able to hold on to the deepest truth of all, that life comes at you, that, man, there are things that we gain and receive, there's things that we lose along the way. The truth is, at the end of the day, all I have is this life that I've been given. And Job says, I'm going to continue to bless the name of God. I'm going to continue to worship God. I'm going to believe that he's real, and I'm going to believe that he's my God, and I'm going to keep worshiping him. Listen, I might not be happy. I might be frustrated, devastated, heartbroken, but I'm going to continue to hold my faith and worship God. And then, friends, this really unbelievable thing happens. As the story goes along and it begins to unfold, and and he's got these friends who... At first, they show up and they're present and it seems like they're supporting him. And then they end up blaming him for all the trouble that's happening in his life. At the end of this whole story, God reveals himself to Job, speaks some truth, highlights his presence still in Job's life. And in the midst of all of this, while Job is still in suffering, I want you to see this. Job 42 verse 10. It says, Then the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Guys, I I don't want you to miss this. We'll circle back to this passage towards the end in a little bit. But I don't want you to miss this. Even while Job was suffering and being kind of kicked around by his friends, 
He found it within his heart before God had restored him to health, before God had restored back his possessions and wealth. While he was still suffering, he was able to pray even for those very friends who had started looking more like enemies. That's Job. That's Job. Listen, while he's called blameless before God, it doesn't mean he's perfect. It just means he walked rightly. And what I hope you can see this morning about Job as we look at his example is that in both success and suffering, Job was able to continue to worship God and to care for others. Man, what a powerful example. Now, not only did Job worship God and care for others, the second thing we see from Job's example is that he wrestled honestly. I mean, so much of this story, I could go example by example about how he wrestled openly and honestly with his friends and with the Lord. He shared his frustrations. He expressed his questioning and his doubts. He verbalized anger. In fact, even at his very lowest moments, he shared how he honestly felt. Go back and read Job chapter 3. I'll give you an example from that chapter. But in the whole chapter, Job's struggling with, why am I even alive? He's lamenting the day he was born. He's, he's expressing, gosh, there are times where I just wish I could even die right now. Is it all even worth it? Was being alive in the midst of this even worth it? Check this out. Job chapter 3, verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? I long for death. Those people who are miserable, they long for death, but it comes not and dig for it more than for hidden treasures. He says, listen, I'm actually looking to die. My life is so bitter and so miserable right now. I wish I was dead. Listen, friends, we've got to learn from this example. Somewhere along the way, we've decided that our Christian faith is about putting on really nice clothes, going to a building on Sunday morning, and smiling and pretending like everything is okay. Listen, that's garbage. We're not called to be phony Christians who pretend like everything's okay all the time. We're called to be real. And God invites us to be real with Him. And He encourages us to be real with each other. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We were meant to go through life together in a real, honest way. When we're angry, say you're angry. When you're heartbroken, express it. Job's example is yes, of a good dude who doesn't lose his faith. Yes, he worships God. Yes, he cares for others. But Job's real. And he got real with his friends. And he got real with God. He was willing to wrestle through the hard things. Friends, we can learn from Job's example and from the example of his friends, unfortunately, in a negative way. We need to be the kind of people who are safe to wrestle with. We need to be the kind of people that others can come to in their times of struggle and be real, share the real stuff, share the hard stuff, express all that they're going through. And guys, we've also got to be the ones who are willing to take that risk and be real with other people. We've got to be willing to come to our friends when we're struggling and say, man, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. And ultimately, listen, 
whether we've got friends that are as bad as Job's or are way better than that or somewhere in between. The truth is, we're all going to fall a little bit short with each other at times. But that's the example of Job. He didn't just wrestle with his friends. He wrestled with God. He brought all of his struggles, all of his fears, all of his questioning, and he brought it to the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, friends, let's learn from his example and see the invitation. We have a God that's big enough to handle our frustration, our anger, and our doubts. The question is, when we're suffering, will we turn and run from him? Will we hold him at arm's length? Or will we choose to bring this stuff to him and wrestle? That's his invitation. He's willing to meet us right there. And so let's learn from Job's example. Last thing I want you to see from Job's example this morning is this. Job grew through his suffering. I'm not saying we should seek suffering out. I'm not saying we should minimize it when it happens and just go, hey, you're going to learn something awesome in the midst of this. Not being flippant about this. But I do want to be honest about it. Suffering does produce something. If we are willing to worship God, if we are willing to wrestle with God, to lean into Him when life gets difficult, friends, we can grow through our suffering. God can take our suffering and instead of it seeming meaningless, He can turn it into something glorious by growing us through it. At the end of this passage here, there's, there's more of it that you can read on your own, but after God reveals Himself to Job, Job's laid everything out he's struggling with. God's shown up and said, Job, here's who I am. Here's what I'm like. There's parts of me that I can reveal to you, but there's things you can't even begin to comprehend about who I am or about all that I'm doing in this world. But I'm inviting you to trust me. And so God reveals himself in that way, even pushes and challenges Job a bit. And so I want you to hear what Job's response is as he's starting to arrive at the other side of his suffering. Job chapter 42 now. I'm going to read from verses 2 and 3 and verses 5 and 6. This is all Job talking. He says, I know, talking to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's, he's seen something about who God is. God, you can do all things and your purposes will not be stopped. Middle of verse 3 now. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job says, in my previous ignorance, I spoke from a place of not knowing and understanding. And the reality is, God, there are things about you that are too wonderful for me that I can't even begin to understand. I didn't know them at all. Now, the implication here is that he's learned a little bit about them. He's had a little more insight into these wonderful things. And yet he still recognizes there's things that are beyond me. Verse 5 now, I love this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. It's not, it's not just like I'm terrible, I'm horrible. He, just, he has a proper perspective of himself. There's humility. And I repent and dust and ashes. Listen, friends. Job grew through suffering because of his pursuit of God and his humility. 
his willingness to acknowledge there's things I don't know and understand. And because of that, he gained understanding. He gained clarity that he did not have before. It was hard-earned and it was meaningful. Friends, I want to encourage you today. If you're suffering now, or if you've struggled with why have you suffered in the past, I'm not saying it was pleasant. I'm not even saying it was good. What I am saying is that God wants to reveal himself, more of who he is, more of what he's up to in this world and in your life through your suffering. And friends, if we can learn from Job's example, pursue God, worship God, wrestle with him in the hard times, come before him with a humble heart, we can watch him grow us even in the midst of our suffering. And so friends, let's learn from Job's example. All right, secondly this morning, we need to recognize something else really cool from this story, and that's Job's arbiter. Job is, is expressing this concept in Job chapter 9, where he's saying, I want to talk to God, I want to wrestle with Him, and yet, who can really stand before Him? I'm just a man. I'm this imperfect being, this, this being who is nothing in sight of God. And so there's this cry in his heart for someone to go between, to be a representative between him and God. And so he uses this term arbiter. Check this out. This is Job chapter 9, beginning in the second half of verse 2. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. Skipping down out of verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Job is looking for an arbiter. It's, it's the picture of a lawyer or a judge. It's someone who can, can kind of stand in between him and God and be this go-between. Now, this sounds familiar to you and I on this side of history because we know about Jesus. That's what Job's looking for. He's looking for a perfect mediator that can go between him and God who seems so distant and unapproachable. He can't relate to what it's like to be a man, and he's more powerful than a man. And so what can Job do? Well, his heart aches for the very person of Jesus, who Paul describes to Timothy as the one and only go-between, the perfect arbiter, the perfect mediator. Check this out, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Paul writes talking about Jesus, and he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He says, listen, Jesus showed up right on time for all of us. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. Listen, Job, this side of Jesus, he's the closest thing we've got to someone who could approach God. He was wealthy, he was successful, and then he had suffered greatly. He'd experienced that whole human spectrum. And God said about Job, he's blameless and upright. And yet this guy who had suffered more than any man, who'd had immense success, 
even he could not stand really before God, because even in his position of being blameless and upright, in contrast to God, he was still a broken person. He was still a fallen man. And so Jesus comes along, the ultimate one, who, listen, friends, the reason he can stand on our behalf is because he is both fully God and fully man. Jesus himself has suffered even more unfairly than Job. At least on some level, Job was a broken, sinful guy. He wasn't perfect. But Jesus, who suffered once for all, was perfect. It was completely unfair for him to suffer and die. But because of who Jesus is, fully God and fully man, he now stands as the one that Job was looking for and the one that we are all looking for when we are suffering, when we are struggling, when we feel that sense of, God, I don't understand you. I can't relate to you. You feel so distant from me. Why would you let me suffer and struggle like this? Jesus comes alongside us to remind us that he is the perfect mediator, that he's right there with us on our behalf. Listen, this is what Job was looking for. This is what the saints of old were looking for. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about that a bit. Job was able to believe in the one who would come. I love this beautiful expression of Job looking for this mediator, this redeemer, and he trusts and believes that his redeemer is real. Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth. He believed in advance that Jesus was coming. And friends, Jesus has now come, and he serves as our perfect mediator. But you and I are still right now on the earth in a similar position to Job who said as he reflected on this Redeemer that would stand on the earth, verse 26, And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job looked ahead with hope towards heaven, believing that there was a Redeemer that would go on his behalf before God in heaven to represent him. And Job believed, if not in this life, that in the next he would see this Redeemer. He would see this Mediator. Friends, Jesus has come once to suffer and to die, to stand in our place. He's experienced all the suffering we experienced. That's why we can rely upon Him. But He also is God. He's the risen Savior, Jesus. And He's in heaven, interceding on our behalf right now today. And we will see him again one day. Maybe we'll be alive on the earth when he returns. Or maybe this flesh will die. But I'll see him face to face. My Savior, the perfect mediator, who stands between me and God the Father, who reconciles me into right relationship with God. Listen, friends, our dear friend Rabbi Zacharias went to be with the Lord this week. He's now present with his Savior, Jesus. He's now in the presence of God Almighty. And he had this to say before his death. He talked about suffering 
and the struggles that we have. And I want you to hear his words. He said, having all the answers is not essential to living. I love that. This is coming from a guy who dedicated his life to answering hard questions, to dealing with some of the hardest things that people struggle with about their faith in God. Can I trust God? Can I trust the scripture? Is God real? Is Jesus who he said he was? This man devoted his life faithfully to wrestle through these hard questions. And yet he says, having all the answers is not essential to living. What is essential is the sense of God's presence during dark seasons of questioning. Listen, friends, when we wrestle with God, we don't wrestle alone. Our Savior Jesus, He's right there praying for us, wrestling with us, and He's gently pointing us towards His good Father that He loves with all of His heart, that He trusted with all of His heart, even to the point of death on the cross, even when He experienced the pain of loneliness and separation, when He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus entrusted His life in His Spirit into the hands of His good Father, and He now invites us to find His good Father. He meets us right there. We have Job's arbiter. We have Jesus, the perfect mediator between God and man. Let's learn from Job's example and recognize him. And friends, that leads me to my last point this morning. Not only do we have Job's example, not only, thank God, do we have Jesus, Job's arbiter, the perfect mediator between God and man, but we have Job's promise. And the promise is this, that suffering, while it might be inevitable, it's not meaningless because we have the promise of hope. We have the promise of redemption. We have the promise of eternal life. Listen, friends, suffering, we already mentioned this briefly, suffering, it grows us. And one of the reasons it grows us is because it's a great revealer. That's one of the promises that we have from Job. Suffering is a great revealer. Because of what Job went through, he was able to say, Job 42.5, we read this earlier, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. The promise of Job is that our suffering can be a great revealer where we can see God more clearly, where we can begin to recognize more and more this world that we live in and our place in it. Suffering is a great revealer. Secondly, another part of the promise from Job is this. Suffering is a great refiner. Something really special and powerful happened in Job's life. As he began to reach the end of his suffering, he began to realize what was really important. And one of the primary things he began to do, I believe he did this before his suffering, but even more so on the other side of his suffering, he valued the most important thing, and that's relationships. He valued his relationship with God, and he valued the people around him. He was willing to be reconciled with his friends who'd become enemies, and he prayed for them. And as Job prayed for them, um, watch what happened here. I want you to read this again, Job 42.10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and check this out, 
and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, God gave back a lot of wonderful things to Job. Um, He gave back more of his possessions, but he restored relationship to Job. He, He gave him more children. He had three more girls, seven more sons. His friendships came back to him. His relationship with his wife gets, gets restored and gets healthy. These, these three friends who had kind of turned into enemies, he prays for them, and that relationship gets restored. And I want you to see a glimpse of how Job is refined in this process. Check out this really cool thing that happened in his life. This is now Job 42, verses 15 through 17. And in all the land there were no, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among the brothers. That might not mean a whole lot to you and I today, but this was earth-shattering in that time. He gave his daughters equal footing with his sons. He gave them an inheritance just like his sons. When Job had made it through this suffering, one of the things that was refined is he saw even more clearly the value of what really matters and that's people. And he treasured his children. And then look, verses 16 and 17. And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his sons and his sons' sons to four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Job's life was successful because he treasured, he enjoyed, he took care of people. People is what's eternal. Relationships are what last. And Job treasured his relationship with God. He treasured his relationships with his family members. And he treasured his relationships with his friends. Suffering refined Job. And then finally, the last promise. Suffering, it's a great reminder that we live in a temporal world where good comes and goes, where possessions come and go. Even people come and go because every one of us will face death. But suffering is a reminder that this life is temporal, temporary, but our future is eternal. Our God is eternal. And Jesus has rescued us and invited us into eternal life. And even Job caught a glimpse of this great hope. I want you to see this. Don't miss this. You know, I read a minute ago that Job received back twice as much as he had lost. If, if, let's read this together really quick. Um, it seems like a minor detail, but the scripture records the number of his possessions at the beginning of his life, at the beginning of this suffering, and then the number of possessions on the other side of it. And it's double, very specifically. Check this out. Job 42, 12 and 13. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand female donkeys. And he had also seven sons and three daughters. Let's go back to the beginning of the story, Job chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Notice the contrast here. Verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters, and he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. There is an exact doubling of all of his possessions except for in one instance, his children. In the opening passage, seven sons, three daughters. In the closing passage, he gets another seven sons and three daughters. 
wait a minute, why didn't God double his children? God did double his children. Because even in the midst of this story, we see God giving evidence to Job of the promise of eternal life. Job, I have doubled everything. Your 10 children who died, they're not gone forever. I've doubled your children by giving you seven more sons and three more daughters because these kids of yours are eternal beings and you will live with them forever in eternity. And Job gets a glimpse of the promise and the hope of eternal life in God. Friends, I love this. You and I, we have this same promise that suffering is not meaningless, that suffering produces something, that it's a great revealer of God and it's a great revealer of what He's doing in our lives, that suffering is a great refiner, that the Lord will use it to change us and grow us and shape us, to focus more and more on what's really important in life. And ultimately, the promise of Job is this, It's the promise of Jesus that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that all things will be redeemed, that all things will be made right, that suffering doesn't last forever, and that suffering is not meaningless because we have ultimate hope and redemption in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, as we wrap this up this morning, I wanna encourage you guys Let's learn from Job. Let's hold on to faith like he did through both suffering and success. Let's learn from his example. Let's look to and trust in his arbiter. And friends, let's hold on to the hope of his promise because truly our Redeemer lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we acknowledge to you that we still, even after exploring Job's life, we still don't really understand why they're suffering. God, we don't understand it. It it hurts. It's the most painful thing that we face, God, when we experience loss in this life, when we experience the stripping away of things that are so important to us. But God, I pray that you would give us faith like Job, Lord, that we can learn from his example God, to worship you, to wrestle with you and hold on to you in the midst of hard times. God, that we could look to you, Jesus, our arbiter, our mediator, who is right there with us in the midst of our suffering and our struggles, that we're not alone. And Lord, that you help us to see God the Father and recognize his love and his goodness, even in the midst of suffering. God, would you help us to hold on to hope of your promise that is sure. Lord, that suffering is not meaningless. God, that it reveals you and your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives, even in the midst of our struggling and suffering. God, that it refines us. Lord, that you're in the business of purifying us, of growing us, of strengthening us in relationship with you and relationship with others. And God, would you give us clear vision to see the eternal hope that we have in you. God, that you are redeeming all things and that suffering is something you can relate to and suffering is something that you're gonna make right 
ultimately forevermore as we live with you in heaven for all eternity where there is no suffering and there are no more tears. There's the glory of you, your goodness, your steadfast love, your majesty, and there's the joy of eternal relationship with you and with others. God, give us this vision. Give us this hope. May we hold on in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I love you, my friends. Don't forget, we're not having a service at 10 a.m. next Sunday. Join us in person at 11 if you can. We'd love to have you out there at the Lord's Chapel next Sunday, 11 a.m. for an outdoor worship service. Or if you can't make it, you can tune in later around 6 o'clock next Sunday night. We love you all and we'll see you soon.